Welcome to the Governance Freffy podcast, brought to you in conjunction with the Skills and Education Group. So I'm delighted to welcome Trudy McGuinness to the podcast today. She's founding director of the Essential Training Company. Trudy set up the company in recognition of the demand for high quality training and trusted support in safeguarding children and vulnerable adults. Trudy is a hugely experienced trainer who for many years has worked at a senior level in education, leading on the development of curricula and support services for young people and vulnerable adults in the areas of safeguarding and prevent, personal, social and health education, including mental health matters and politics and citizenship. She has over 11 years experience as a designated safeguarding lead and has overseen the management of more than 2,500 safeguarding cases in education. Trudy is accustomed to working with multiple agencies to help to safeguard children and vulnerable adults and works closely with schools, colleges and universities in training and supporting their staff, students and governors. So welcome, Trudy. Hello, thank you so much, thank you. So of course we all know that as board members that safeguarding of our learners is absolutely paramount. So it seems to be a good place to start perhaps with the regulatory requirements and if you could perhaps share with us what the key headlines are from a regulatory perspective of what governors need to know what they should read Mm. what training they should undertake so that'd be great to hear from you Trudy thank you yeah thank you it's so important because governors have such a vitally important role and having oversight of the activities of an educational institution that they understand what is required of them legally and when governors um, join an organization for the first time it's so important that they have relevant training including of course safeguarding training um, so that they can understand what we mean by safeguarding particularly in the context of education and what is being expected of the people in the college or the school um, that they're working with and therefore get a sense of the kind of things of which they should have oversight and an insight to and so they can build views around and the most commonly cited document in education um, around safeguarding is keeping children safe in education it's updated annually and it's really important that governors are conversant with that it is a relatively long document um usually well over 120 pages. Um, but it, it is a really important thing for governors to look through that. And there's an expectation for every staff member and and therefore governors too, I think it's really important, look at part one of keeping children safe in education and really digest that um, in particular. it's um, It gives an outline of all of the key areas of vulnerability, different thresholds for getting support, um, and the kinds of um, things that we should be considering strategically about safeguarding too. Um, and in terms of the legal framework, governors being cognizant of complementary legislation around health and safety, the Equality Act of 2010 and the implications is really important, and the prevent duty, of course, which puts requirements on us to make sure that we promote British values um, and and look to prevent people from becoming radicalised and and, um, extolling extremist views. So uh, those things are absolutely key. And not only do governors need training on safeguarding when they first join an organisation, but they need annual updates. Um, And it's so important that the board has that and they understand what 
changes, what key changes there have been in keeping children safe in education each year, because there are changes, things move on, things develop. And there are some, you know, particularly um, key changes this year around IT monitoring and the role of the designated safeguarding lead, which are very important for, um, for governors to be mindful of too. So they need that ongoing training and supportive insights um, to help them in their role um, so that they can they can do it effectively, really, and know what's expected of them. Yeah. So it's a huge amount of um, knowledge, isn't it, that we really need to be aware of. And so, as you say, this need for ongoing training is really important. Uh, And of course, from an Ofsted point of view as well, it's a a limiting factor, I believe. Um, So it's absolutely essential that, you know, safeguarding is where it needs to be. So when we're thinking Mm. about sort of a a governor's role, um, both collectively as a board, but also individually, as a sort of designated safeguarding lead governor, what are some mm. of the activities that they should be undertaking in that role? Yeah, well, for the designated safeguarding lead, it's so important that they link in regularly. I would argue not only with the designated safeguarding lead of the organisation, but also the wider safeguarding team, because that's a really important part of keeping professional curiosity as well. You know, one would hope and trust and expect that the DSL is up to speed, that they've got the capacity to be doing what they're doing, that they're working effectively, that they're creating strong links with um, external agencies and key um, key organisations linked to wider safeguarding and support for students and indeed for staff members as appropriate. But I think it's important that they also speak to other members of the safeguarding team so that they get a more rounded picture of what's mm-hmm. going on. And sometimes there are real implications for capacity. Um, there can be incredibly busy times of the year and everybody who works in safeguarding knows there are busy times of the week, which yeah. is you know, typically a Friday. Um, it gets very busy before um, students go home at the weekend. They might decide to say something before um, they go home into an unsafe environment um, or indeed that thing which has been niggling at a teacher or um, you know, a learning support assistant all week finally comes out on a Friday because they think, oh, I actually don't want to have to go through mm. the weekend worried about this. Yeah. So there are certain times of the week, certain times of term, which are very important, typically just before holidays, where capacity can be stretched. And I Mm. think whilst it's not, of course, the role of a governor to be involved in, in the management at all of any of that, I think being aware of when there are key um, crunch points can be quite useful. It can also help to kind of give a view as to whether additional capacity in in the Mm. medium to long term might be required if there's a growing trend to increase number of safeguarding issues and a growing level of complexity. Um, So they, those regular meetings by which Mm. I would say at least term with the DSL and preferably with one or two of the deputy DSLs as well would be incredibly helpful. Visiting um, the college or school is very important. not just for the board meetings, but actually to come on other occasions and and have a wander around, get a feel for things. You know, what mm-hmm. is the atmosphere like in corridors in between classes as the, the students move around? What does it feel like? Does it feel safe? Does it feel inclusive? Does it feel like a warm, welcoming environment? Um, what do they see? What do they hear? And to keep that kind of curiosity going. Mm-hmm. And I think... 
ways in which governors can really support as well is by using their links within the community um, to help to link up. I mean, I had the the benefit of that in, in all of my previous roles as a designated safeguarding lead in other organisations. But the the last designated safeguarding lead, um, who was also the chair of the board that I worked with, was incredibly well connected mm. um, in the NHS and yeah. within... Um, wider social care and it was it was so helpful yeah. um be pointed in the direction of certain people mm-hmm. um to be able to create those links with ease and it really did help to benefit um the culture of safeguarding at the college that I was at so bringing kind of the whole self to bear in terms of um the links that one has as a designated safeguarding lead and um and that ongoing curiosity mm-hmm. and desire to get to know the college really well actually is so important but for the white and all of those things also apply to the wider board but not yes. necessarily the regular yeah. itself but i would argue um it's important um, that they feel that they can really question the DSL as well, you know, in a supportively challenging way, you know, what is going on and does the DSL have capacity? Do they have support? Do they have the training they need, the team they need? Um, what are things, what kind of things are impacting strategically? One of the things, for example, with one of the um, um, clients I'm working with at the moment in the Southwest, um, we're discovering there is the local authority is struggling so much actually mm. in terms of their capacity to deal effectively and quickly, um, with the volume of safeguarding issues which are, are being passed over. Knowing that kind of stuff is really important because it is having a, a backup mm. into, in this case, into a school um, where they are worried about um, help not coming yes. um, as quickly as it needs to um, and help not lasting for as long as it needs to. Mm. And that kind of stuff can really impact um, a college or a school's ability to effectively meet their statutory obligations. Mm-hmm. So the wider context for a, for the board of understanding what's going on with the local authority or the local NHS is so important. And uh, another example, you know, the increased um, times it can take for ambulances to reach a particular scene. Um, either linked to safeguarding issues or health and safety um, has been an increasing concern in the past 18 months. And that's something that um, board members need to be aware of and, and perhaps using their own networks to be flagging that as a concern too. Yeah, no, that's that's a really important point. I mean, we all know that there's been a considerable increase um, in this area of work. Uh, the number of mm. cases have gone up considerably since COVID. Mm. But also, I think that's a really good point that you make there about the role of all governors um almost their role when they're not sat around the board table is that externally facing role to be aware of the external environment, what that looks like, what the challenges Mm. are, how those challenges are changing over time and bringing all of that intel back into the committee and board meetings to have those strategic level conversations. And as you said, obviously, you know, the role of governors is um, strategic. I often say that governors oversight, as well as oversight of impact, um, not just Mm. activity, 
And yet I do often see a lot of reporting that comes to the board is kind of full of data on activity, but little in the way of sort of the impact of the actions, Mm. or as you referred to, the strategic implications. You know, lots of colleges and schools, I'm sure, have um, strategic objectives around ensuring students reach their full potential. And yet some of Mm. this data and information must have implications on the ability to achieve those strategic aims. So perhaps we could just sort of dive into a bit more around the kind of reporting that a board should receive. What should they expect? How often and how can that be linked to kind of the vision, mission, value, strategic plan to ensure that governors do stay strategic and don't get in amongst the weeds? Yeah, it's so crucial. I mean, one of the um, best reporting formats that I have seen was actually in the college that I was previously at, where very specifically on every board template, um, it was cited how whatever was being reported on was linked to specific strategic aims. Mm. Um, and, And that was so clear. So it was always being linked back. And and I think in terms of you're, you're right, impact has to be the thing um, that's being uh, reviewed, really. What is the impact? And so I think information about strategic partnership building and how that is um, bringing particular benefits to bear on the college community is so important. Um, Looking at, um, but I do think data has a role to play because it can tell a story and it can tell a story about what is emerging as key stuff. So for example, Every college that I've spoken to in the past three years has seen an increase in mental health concerns. It's telling a story about a particular time in which we live, which has been impacted by the pandemic, undoubtedly. But what that then means, where we need to look at impact, is what does that mean then for for students? What does it mean for staff members? What perhaps does it mean for engagement with parents? And what are we doing about it? Um, and how is that benefiting the college community, indeed the wider community? It is keeping sight of that. So there's a story within the data, but then the so what and what is the impact and not losing line of sight because I know it is tempting. I mean, I, you know, I'd be lying if I said I hadn't had a few moments myself in previous years where sometimes the um, the flurry of what's going on, the complexity and sometimes the emotional difficulty of what's going on in safeguarding can, can have a heavy weight. And we can sometimes get a bogged down in the sense of like, oh, my goodness, this is awful. Yeah, but it doesn't really serve anybody in terms of the bigger picture if we just keep getting bogged down with the, oh, this is awful. So what is the ambition to make sure that we build better links, that we build stronger teams, that we have better training um, and support and processes in place that can enable us to safeguard more effectively, because that's the empowering piece. Mm -hmm. That's what allows us to really bring improvement um, to safeguarding in colleges and schools. And so I think keeping an eye on that is so important. In terms of oversight um, more broadly, governors understanding um, what students are saying what the feedback is from students student voice is absolutely critical um I always say to people you know you you won't go far wrong if you keep listening to your students 
They will tell you when you build rapport and they genuinely believe that it's um, it's safe and appropriate and a trusted space to let you know how they really feel about things. They'll tell you mm. they kind of point the way um, to what we what we need to be doing and what could benefit them. They come up with brilliant ideas. So um, keeping LinkedIn with the student voice is absolutely critical. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. That's such a great point, Trudy. And, and of course, that applies to everything, not just safeguarding, but I can see yeah. why that is particularly uh, crucial in the area of safeguarding. I mean, you've already given us sort of some practical tips about how governors can get involved. And you spoke previously about, you know, governors getting into the college and walking the floor and what does it feel mm. like? And, um, you know, we do encourage governors. I know they're volunteers and they're time pressed, um, but to come in through those link visits that they're doing. And, you know, that those sort of simple safeguarding questions can form part of those activities, couldn't they? So when they're coming yes. in for their link visit, be it English or maths or whatever, there could always be a question in there around sort of safeguarding. Would, would that be suitable? Absolutely. Totally. And, it, it, you know, one of the things that I really welcome about changes to keeping children safe in education this year is the the inextricable link with um, promoting equality of opportunity um, is there. And it's made it clearer than ever that sometimes positive action might be um, the most um, most important thing to do, given certain um, experiences of groups with protected characteristics. And so it is important that governors, when they're going into classrooms and they're coming in for visits, are getting a wider sense of how inclusive does it feel? How safe is it for people to be in this environment, whoever they are, whatever their background? Um, and do they feel like they belong yeah. Do they feel valued mm-hmm. and and have a real sense of community? Is diversity genuinely respected or is there a sense of kind of needing to conform to a particular type? Otherwise, um, you'll be met with um, hostility or aggression or a sense of being excluded. Understanding those kind of things are a really critical and complementary part of wider safeguarding. Yeah, that's really helpful. Thank you. And I mean, you've given us some some experiences already of what you've seen within schools and colleges. But mm. are there any sort of particular trends where you see, you know, things that are going well or perhaps where colleges or schools are falling short in this area that you'd like to draw attention to? I think, I mean, I see some extraordinarily brilliant things happening in colleges and schools. And sometimes at, the pressures on DSLs and their teams are huge. And that's why I'm committed to supporting them. It's a key part of what I do um, through the supervision work that we do, the ongoing training support that we do, and, and um, supportive reviews of safeguarding activity as well in particular colleges and schools. Um, where there are challenges. It's more often around the sheer volume of what they're dealing with and a sense of increased complexity. And right across the board in colleges and schools, they are reporting that they've got an increased number of young people with special educational needs and perhaps with behavioural issues. Now, those two things are not necessarily linked. So it's special educational needs and behavioural issues. And and they're seeing an impact of mental health challenges among parents and carers is impacting on the young people themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it 
these are quite significant challenges. But what I see overwhelmingly is a real desire among those DSLs and their teams to seek to provide as much support as they can to kind of the wider community and thinking about what can they do to support parents? What can they do to support staff? Because if staff are being strong and providing so much support to pupils and then to parents, um, what about the impact on them too? Mm -hmm. So where things are working really well, it's recognising that not only is safeguarding everybody's responsibility, but safeguarding applies to everybody and well-being applies to everybody. And that I always talk about safeguarding as being a team sport because it really is. You need a whole team approach and and making sure that people are looking after one another Mm -hmm. um, is so important. Um, And remaining professionally curious as well, because things can surprise us. I know every, I mean, I, you know, I was a DSL in different organizations for over 15 years, but never was there a week that went by as a DSL where something um, happened that didn't surprise me. You know, it was just um, ongoing learning. And, and so remaining curious and open and receptive to support as well is really important. People need it. Um, you know, and that's that's one of the pieces I'm really passionate about, making sure that everybody who's involved in the whole safeguarding journey is supported effectively. Brilliant. Lovely. Thank you for sharing that. And, and it's great to hear. And I love the idea of that team bit. And of course, that's where boards, you know, not only through having their oversight role, but also their supporting role, you know, can step in from time to time and say, you know, how can we help? You know, what can we do to support yeah. you? What needs to be put in place? And that's a crucial part of the board's role, too. We haven't touched mm-hmm. actually on safer recruitment. I don't know if that's something that is uh, within your scope of work. Um, I often actually see yeah. this as a missing component within boards they, they do the safeguarding training but actually not that many participate around safer recruitment is is there anything you could say around that yeah I, it's absolutely critical and I think you're right I think it is sometimes overlooked and it's interesting actually because on Tuesday evening um, I met with a board of a multi-academy trust and uh, I was giving them crucial updates around keeping children safe in education about their role things to be looking out for things which they you know they really need to be asking of the, the designated safeguarding leads that they're particularly linked with um, but one of the pieces I mentioned was safer recruitment you, you need to know about this area and need to understand um, more about the single central record, more about DBS requirements, about BARD activity and uh, what comes into scope. And and I could tell for some of them, it was quite eye-opening. Mm. So it is an area that I'm I'm really quite passionate about and, and very keen that boards understand more about. And indeed, DSLs have further updates about. In, in the past couple of weeks, I've had a number of queries in from the clients we're working with about um, what do we have to do about reference requests? Mm. How long do we have to keep particular information for? And so one of the things we're looking to do as a company in the coming weeks, actually, is to do um, a complementary workshop um, for boards and DSLs around this particular topic, which, you know, we can then expand into further information if they wish. But there are some really important pieces for oversight, which I I feel sometimes um, people aren't aware of Mm. and and they need to be um, to help to keep the environment safe and do appropriate checks on on, um, senior 
team members yeah. on are they operating uh, within the requisite um yeah operating field okay yeah no that's good and and thank you for, um you know for the complimentary uh, workshop that you're putting on just so people know that they can find you at essentialtrainingcompany.co.uk um, if they want to yep. take up any of that work but we've nearly come to the end of our podcast already um, I just wondered Trudy if there was sort of one piece of advice for governors around safeguarding um, what might that be? That's probably a difficult question because it's such a large yeah. topic. But, if, you know, if there was one Some, thing that yeah. you could give to governors, um, one piece of advice, what would that look like? Sometimes people get a bit scared about safeguarding because there is a lot of responsibility there. Um, but it's also a tremendous um privilege I believe to be involved in something which is so important so my advice would be embrace it actually and keep an open mind keep professional curiosity um, I think that is absolutely critically important keep an open mind to what could be um, the case and, and indeed that's advice I give to DSLs too um, and yeah embrace the responsibility I was saying to my colleague yesterday after we'd been doing some um, supervision work with with head teachers actually just what a gift this work is because we do um, get incredible insights and we get to support people um, through such important work that they're doing yeah. to support some of the most vulnerable people in society and to help them um, with their life and their life chances. And that is also what governors are involved in doing. And it's, um, it's a real privilege. Yeah, they come, they join our college boards or, or school boards, as you say, to, to make a difference. And this is a crucial yeah. part of that work that really makes the difference and that's the rewarding element isn't it of the role that governors do it is brilliant yeah, Trudy it lovely is. thank you so much for taking time out to join me um, on the podcast today and, and thank you thank you so much thank you for joining us on the governance refi podcast visit our website governancerefi.co.uk where you can find all the podcast episodes and a whole lot more information on governance in the FE and skills sector this podcast was sponsored by the Skills and Education Group. Information on their qualifications, funding opportunities, professional development programmes and initiatives in support of teaching, learning and assessment can be found on their website at skillsandeducationgroup.co.uk.